My, my father died when I was 15. I was in 10th grade. And at the time, apparently my parents didn't belong to a synagogue and or at least weren't hadn't paid their dues or something i'm sure it was financially you know financial difficult time and my father was a war veteran and i have this vivid memory of the jewish war veterans which had a section at the cemetery burying my father you know like making sure my parents had you know had had they didn't have plots in the jewish community you know we sit shiva and but but more than that, you know, look, my mother was a widow with three kids in, in elementary school and high school, uh, living on a secretary's salary. Any opportunities that her kids are going to have obviously come from her own initiative and caring and love for us, but also come from a community <laughs> that, you know, that supported it. I'm Eric Fingerhut, I'm the President and CEO of the Jewish Federations of North America, and this is The Glue, the podcast where we talk about the things that hold our communities together in a world that's so often driving us apart. I've been fortunate that, you know, I've lived in community, been part of community, um, have been dependent on community. I absolutely would not be who I am if it was not for all these communal structures. That's why we started this podcast. Welcome to The Glue. My guests today are Jeff Finkelstein, the CEO of the Jewish Federation of Greater Pittsburgh. Of course, the Federation was widely credited with holding the community together during and after the horrific shooting at the Tree of Life building on October 27, 2018, which was the most lethal act of anti-Semitic violence in our country's history. And we're joined by Maggie Feinstein. She's the director of the 1027 Healing Partnership, which was formed in the aftermath of the attack to help the community confront the trauma of the day, and as its name would suggest, try to help heal the wounds. Uh, thank you both. So. Let's go back to the day so we remind ourselves of the seriousness of what your community has been dealing with since then. Jeff and Maggie, where were you that day? What did you do? Thanks, Eric. I'll, um, I'll take that first. So um, that morning, uh, I was at my house when my board chair, Merrill Ainsman, uh, uh, called me and said, and it was somewhere around 10 a.m., I hear there's a shooting at the Tree of Life building. And so I um, I quickly got myself together and dressed and I, I went over and uh, and was there, you know, uh, as close as I could be to the building because there were already barricades up to see what was happening. Yeah, I live in the neighborhood. And at the time I was coming back from a run where I had run by the Tree of Life building just about 30 minutes before the shooting started. But I returned home right around the time that our neighborhood was put on lockdown. At that point, you know, I took care of my family 
And as my mom said, you know, just sit around and wait for the 0% chance we didn't know somebody. And for me, um, I, um, you know, had to get into, into gear to try to figure out what our community was going to need. Time's a blur that morning, but I, I was joined by our mayor. Our governor happened to be in Pittsburgh at the time local law enforcement that I knew, local politicians, media people. There was a lot of activity, federation, along with our, our core partner agencies. The way we handled it is we said, JCC, you're going to take these pieces. JF and CS, you're going to take these, including mental health. And they had walk-in mental health clinics opened up within a few hours um, for anybody in the community. And federation took its pieces. Well, uh, absolutely. Uh, I remember the response personally. Uh, I, I was the head of Hillel at the time, as, as you know, Jeff, and not only saw you on TV, but also came to the community uh, in the, uh, uh, the next day and was there also for some of the funerals and participated in some of your community briefings. So I, I could personally attest to the, the extraordinary leadership you provided to, uh, to help keep the community resilient and, and, and do what it needs to do in, in those first weeks. But the, the thing that, that really that was an aha moment for me was uh, in the hours and the, the, the days and the months after the attack and what I learned. If we hadn't had a security director, how would we have managed all of this stuff? Like it's one thing to prepare for the unthinkable, but but what do you do if the unthinkable happens? You know, I have all kinds of stories of our security director, Brad Orsini, on the street yelling at the FBI saying, no, our com- they wanted the the family reunification uh, place to be at a at a local university, and he's yelling. This this uh, Italian guy is yelling at them, saying, "No, our community goes to the JCC. We wouldn't have had to, that ability." Um, and uh, and being able then to to think about what do we do to provide security for the community because we wanted to make sure our community continued to engage in Jewish life that they weren't fearful. Jeff. Uh- Obviously, both that day, uh, the response involved police and FBI, et cetera. Um, and you mentioned the security director, Brad Orsini, who showed up on the site, which means you had a security director. Um, what, did we, uh, what did we learn about security um, and how, how have you approached the question of security after an incident like this, when now all of a sudden everybody is worried, I imagine, every time, um, you know, they set foot in a Jewish institution. So I, I think our community was um, somewhat forward-thinking and planful. Uh, in 2016, we, our federation board, uh, after a presentation from the then director of Secure Community Network, uh, decided that we needed to have a Jewish community security director. We could see what was happening around the world, not just focused on anti-Semitism, but workplace violence and other things that were happening. Uh, and and being an urban-centered Jewish community, we thought it was we thought it was important. Um, and so, um, you know, in January 2017, we, we hired that security director. We know that the training that Brad did six weeks prior to the attack saved lives. And like we mourn those 11 lives. I've gotten to know their families um, since the attack took place. These are incredible people. Um, it, it could have been worse. And we know that from, from survivors. I, I guess... Uh... Maggie, does a security program give families 
security and peace of mind, or is it more stressful that everywhere you go now you drive your kids? There's a there's a security officer. You uh, you know you go to synagogue to pray. There's a security officer. Does did, did, does the security in Pittsburgh, having now lived having lived through this terrible day, does it increase anxiety, uh, or does it relax? Uh, you know, d- d- does it reassure? Uh, reassure people. You know, you ask people within our community, half of them will say that they feel safer now because of all the security measures, the armed guards and the doors and everything else. And half of the people say it makes them more anxious to walk in and to see those things. So in the end of the day, what I always tell leadership is to think through, you have to make the best decision you can for keeping your community as safe and functional as possible but you want them to function. You don't want to make it the barrier so big that people don't come to Shabbat services. I think what we are interested in, especially now because um, the uh, we're, we're facing the trial and clearly uh, these feelings are going to come back and, and, the, and the vivid memories are going to come back to the community, is what happens in those months and, and years after. Uh, the news cameras go away at a certain point, um, and uh, the funerals are over, the families, even the mourning period is over uh, for the families. How does a community, uh, how has it changed the community? What were the temporary changes? What are the permanent changes um, that you've observed in your community? So I think that what it takes to heal, right? You're a community that learns to operate in what feels normal, Um, Normalcy has to do with the regular rhythms and routines in Jewish life. That means Shabbat. That means, you know, the high holidays that we we learn to operate in those things. And so when there's a communal trauma and we disrupted that whole regular rhythm and routine, it's almost like you have the same puzzle and you just took it apart and people have to figure out how to put the pieces in the right place. So um, what it took was we had to figure out what were those corners of the puzzle? What were the cornerstones? And I think a lot of that had to do with uh, the way the Jewish communities organized for a very long time. What I've learned is it's incredibly unique to have in our community three very long-standing organizations with strong communal ties and leadership who already work daily together. And that meant that there was a sense of stability that people could feel the pieces coming back together. And, you know, one of the things we often talk about uh, in the Federation system at large is, you know, you don't build a fire department um, when the house is on fire. You build a fire department in order to be ready uh, to to respond to a fire. What happens when there's a mass violence attack and when there is a communal trauma at this level is that you need the services to be available the second it happens, but that's impossible. So the truth is you have to start building as quickly as possible, but also as intentionally as possible. You know, we've learned a lot. Um, We we didn't know exactly what happens uh, after such a, a mass casualty event takes place in your backyard. It's like, first of all, our community is a tight community, is a geographically tight community as well. Federation, using your, your, your piece for the podcast, I believe is the glue that brings all of our institutions together and holds us together. Um, our core uh, partner agencies, JF and CS and the JCC, have worked 
closely together. I believe we work closely together because we trust each other. We work closely together because the Federation provides core unrestricted funding that allows those agencies to operate. Um, and we are seen as the convener. That deep uh, partnership, the idea that we can drop our institutional egos and work towards the betterment of the community was at the core of everything we did in those, especially in the, in the months after the attack, but even since then. The challenge is that it's not just are you in relationship with each other. It one of, was beautiful about the way in which they worked together was the shared accountability. Um, and that accountability wasn't only related to this one terrible day. It was related to the Jewish community as a whole. Um, and so I think that to your, your point earlier, it's important to know that not every community has that level of engagement where not only do you know who to call, but you know who to call and you know that five years from now, 10 years from now, your organizations will invariably be intertwined still. So how you behave today and what decisions you make today are ones that that will carry you forward as well. So I think the accountability was really important. You're clearly, have, uh, you, you were the glue that held in the institutions, the glue that's held the community together through this terrible trauma. But we're having this conversation because the trial um, is is starting, um, and clearly it's going to reopen uh, wounds uh, and memories. I'm sure for you each individually, and for the community. So let me ask you both parts of that. What is this doing for you to you individually, um, and uh, and then what are you doing? Uh, and, and how are you mobilizing all of these uh, factors that, that, that help br- bring the community through this uh, to once again have to uh, bring the community through what's obviously going to be a, a, a traumatic experience? So what we've done, we've worked really closely with our U.S. Attorney's Office. We work really closely with the families and the witnesses and the survivors. We talk to them. We listen deeply to what's important to them. We are curious about how we can support them to feel as though they're part of a justice process that's authentic. And so, you know, there's a lot of things we can't control when you're within the courthouse. Uh, But what we've learned and what we've listened to is that within our families and survivors that there's a lot of weight they've been carrying. There's a lot of responsibility that sits on their shoulders to think about what should happen as a response of punishment or of consequences for the person who committed this act that took away their loved ones or that changed their lives so dramatically. And the justice process is a time for a lot of them to say, you know what, this is no longer mine to hold. I'm going to give it over. And so we have seen people starting to do that. The best thing that we've done so far is to make sure that we've listened deeply to them. We have times where we all get together and people can talk it out. Um, And we try to make sure that not everyone has to share the same point of view. So we try to understand what are the things we all agree on and what are the things we can agree. People have differences of opinions and that's okay too. I think as the trial gets going, it's going to be, it's going to be tougher as I, as the, as the evidence is laid out and it's going to be in our Pittsburgh newspapers every single day. And, um, and so I'm, I'm gearing up for a really difficult couple of months. And I think the months after will also be difficult. And, and I'm being authentic in, in sharing this. Uh, and, I, and I know it's the same for a lot of my, my colleagues who've been 
first line responders to, to what took place. Uh, Jeff and Maggie, we're so appreciative of you, first of all, for everything that you've done um, and, and for sharing it with us. And also uh, we're thinking about you as this next week unfolds. Uh, before we close, what advice would you give to other communities who are facing trauma? Obviously, uh, God willing, not this kind of trauma, uh, but, but we know that tragedy hits, whether it's natural disasters or, or other, of other nature. Um, how, how, how can a community prepare themselves? One of the things that was so reassuring to our community the Jewish community was the way the entire community responded. We were in relationship with those other communities, whether they be religious or the LGBTQ community, those different aspects, the Hispanic community, the black community, we were in relationship before. And, and I think there is import in developing those deep relationships, not with any purpose in mind. But you never know when you or that other person or that other group is going to need support. So I know Maggie can talk about it more from a, definitely from a clinical approach. But I think for a community to be focused on building relationships with law enforcement, with government officials, with diverse communities, with religious communities, with its own institutions is, is the core to be able to handle uh, these terrible, hopefully no one experiences what we did, but but a, a terrible incident that took could take place. I do have the opportunity to talk to a lot of communities that are going through this, unfortunately, and unfortunately right now, many more. Um, I wish I didn't. I wish I had never had anybody else to welcome into this club. But I often say that the best thing you can do is deeply listen, know that you're not going to get it right, um, largely because you can't possibly know how this is going to land for so many people. But if you deeply listen and you're always ready to listen and, and change course, curiosity and compassion is the core to almost everything. And I think that's core to the relationships, but I think deep curiosity and deep compassion. Um, and I think about, you know, if I, if I was going to say something that really where I, that showed up and, and Jeff was intimately involved in this, but that after events like this, it's amazing. There's a lot of financial generosity and people donate money um, and want to help. That's, that's something that happens. And I've talked to a lot of communities about how that is really difficult to manage in the months and the right afterwards. But the, the group that managed it, that the Federation really oversaw, deeply listened. They were culturally attuned to the community that was attacked and they thought and then they rethought and then they readjusted course in a way that um, someone from the 9-11 community taught me that the product will always mirror the process. And that's especially true after a mass violence incident and a communal trauma. If you're going to try to create something, be it a memorial or the distribution fund, the product of whatever you do will mirror the process of how well you listen to the community you're part of. And I think that that the distribution of those funds really represented that it was not it's not easy, but it was about as um, thoughtful as anyone could ever hope for. Jeff Finkelstein, the president and CEO of the Jewish Federation of Greater Pittsburgh, and Maggie Feinstein, the director of the 1027 Healing Partnership. 1027, of course, being the date of this uh, terrible uh, attack. Thank you so much uh, for your leadership. 
uh, thank you for uh, what you've done for uh, the Pittsburgh community and for all of us. Uh, and thanks for sharing with us uh, your thoughts. Uh, we are thinking of you and we're thinking of the community uh, as you uh, go forward through this period of the trial. Uh, and you should know that the same love and support that came to Pittsburgh from around the world uh, after 1027 uh, is, uh, uh, is coming to you this week uh, as well. That's it for our first episode of The Glue. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our next episode will be out a little later in the summer. Make sure you don't miss it. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And leave a review. It really helps spread the word. And of course, there are so many ways you can play a part in being the glue that holds your community together by donating or becoming active in your local Jewish federation. Find out how at www.jfeds.org backslash the glue. I'm Eric Fingerhut, and I'll catch you next time on The Glue.